Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. stand to your feet and I want you to give a big Bethesda welcome tonight to Alex Workman as he comes to share the word with us. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus and Alex. Let's give another shout of praise for Jesus before we sit down. Um, it's really surreal to me to be on this stage tonight because, and I'll go more in detail on this in a second, but about 10 months ago, whenever, um, it was confirmed to me from the Lord that of our call into ministry, I had, uh, some visions, um, of me preaching and in the vision that I had, I was, I was on this stage um, in the vision that I had. And I'm not even sure if I had shared that with, with pastor before today. Um, so to be standing in a vision that I had 10 months ago is, uh, amazing to me tonight. Um, uh, he who promised is faithful, um, always. Um, and, uh, what that word also speaks to is that if the Lord knew that I was going to be standing on this stage tonight to talk to you, he also knew that you would be sitting here tonight. He has just like he ordained me to be here. He ordained you to be here and be sitting in the seat that you're sitting in. The God of the universe has a reason that you are here tonight. And what he told me for this house tonight, it's because he wants to encounter you here tonight. Um, so don't treat this as like another Wednesday night service that you're coming to um, hear a lesson, um, that you're coming to take some things away from that'll make your life better. But Jesus Christ wants to encounter everybody in this room tonight. Um, and all I want to do tonight for you, you probably won't hear too many speakers tell you this, but all I want to do for you tonight and what I want to do here is just be a conduit for the Holy Ghost to flow through. I just want to be the person that brings you to his feet tonight is all I want to be. Um, I don't want to preach a sermon to you. I want to preach a person to you really. And that's Jesus. And I want to bring you to his feet tonight to encounter him here tonight because I, a speaker, me, I can't save you. It's him that does it. He saves you. He delivers you. Give him a shout of praise. And uh, Jesus doesn't hand out deliverance. He doesn't hand out freedom. He is those things. So when you come to him, he is freedom. He is deliverance and he is healing. And he is here to encounter everybody in this room tonight. Whether you don't know him at all or whether you've known him for 50 years, um, there's no finality to the Christian life this side of eternity. So he wants to encounter everybody in this room tonight. And what he has shown me in preparing for this message is that this altar tonight is gonna to be a graveyard. 
for the things that you're carrying that he doesn't want you to carry for the person that you might be if you don't know him to die here tonight and for him to live in you and resurrect you. And we can walk away from here as resurrected sons and daughters, which is what he wants. And the spirit has laid this out. Um, and I see it now after pastor's month of uh, talking about the new reality that we're to walk in as believers. The prerequisite for that is our death um, and for what we are to die. And that's what I'm going to be speaking about tonight. And he has orchestrated that to be the message tonight after the month that you have heard of this new reality. Um, I don't want to talk about myself very long because I want to talk about him. Um, but I, I do want to introduce the people that don't know me, that don't know my family, and give a little bit of our testimony um, because it's important, I think, to hear some pieces of it to lead into the message tonight. Um, me and my family have been coming here to Bethesda for uh, about three years now. Um, my beautiful wife is sitting right down here on the front. Um, and yes, before you ask, like she met me in the dark. Um, uh, <laughs> I married up. Um, I'm hoping that I can sell the gospel as well as I sold myself to her, <laughs> is what I'm hoping I can do. Um, and as Pastor um, talked about, she just took a full-time position um, as the children's coordinator here. And I wanna brag on her for a minute um, in that she is in a place in her life right now that in total obedience to exactly what the Lord wants her to do with no motive of her own um, at all, uh, just wanting to be completely, entirely obedient to what the Lord wants her to do. And the Lord has laid on her a vision for this kids program back here, that for your children to encounter the Holy Spirit in that sanctuary back there, just like here. Because how many people know that the kids, kids don't get a junior Holy Ghost. The, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead indwells your children. And there is a vision from the Lord for that program of teaching your children how to live in intimate relationship and walk in his power at a young age. And if we can get that to them before the world can sow unbelief and sow everything the world wants to sow into them, there's a day coming that children are going to walk out of that sanctuary and see somebody walking with a cane in the mid building and walk up to them and lay hands on them and heal them. What if your children are at a football game and somebody's injured and before the, before the medics can come help them, your children lay hands on them and heal them on the field and we convert a field full of people. It's coming. That is coming for this, for this children's program. Um, so just a little bit about us and about me. I, uh, I grew up in church, um, at the Greenbrier Avenue Church of God in Raynell. So not far from here. Um, uh, I gave my heart to the Lord at a very, very young age, about eight years old. I gave my heart to the Lord. Um, now I ended up falling away later, but I'll tell you what, what that did is that even later in my rebellion, when I fell away, I always felt conviction and sting from him because he was always there. Um, and that's what being raised in church, like I'm just talking about the, the children's program, like even when I was in rebellion, I knew I was in rebellion. 
Um, I always felt his pull. I always felt his draw back. And it probably stopped me from doing some of the things I probably would have done even worse if I didn't have his pull, if I didn't have his conviction pulling me back. Um, now, as a teenager, I fell strongly away from the Lord, strongly away from the Lord. Um, because I wanted to live what I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue the world. I fell into sexual sin, alcohol, um, pornography. Um, and the Lord told me to highlight this tonight. Um, so I'm going to speak it. Um, pornography is something that is binding, binding the world right now. The devil was using this to sneak in the back door and bind people in his chains. And it loves to keep it in darkness too. And it comes in our cell phones and it comes on our computers and he's binding people with it. And I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking it for a reason. If there is somebody in this room that is struggling with it or bound by it, the breaker of chains is here tonight to break it off of you and break you free from it. And this altar will be a graveyard for what binds you. Whether it's that addiction, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, no matter what it is, the breaker of chains is here tonight, and he will break that off of you if you come to him. He is going to do that tonight, and he's here to do it. If you leave here unchanged tonight, it's because you'll walk past the living, breathing Christ that is here beckoning to you, drawing you, and pulling you in. If you leave here unchanged tonight, because he's calling you and drawing you to be changed and to be transformed by him here tonight. Now, I fell away as a teen really strongly. And then when I was about 20, um, we met when I was a new police officer. Um, uh, and then we pursued the world together um, very strongly. Um, and about in our mid-20s, we decided, we said, you know what, we, we need to get back in church and kind of clean some things up here. But if you've ever had a car that you, there was a rust spot coming through on it, and you just try to throw some paint over it, and you're like, yeah, that'll fix it. Um, that's what we did. Um, we came, we, we went to church, and we did the things that we were supposed to do, but, and that's why I'm giving this testimony tonight, because what we didn't do is die. We wanted Jesus to be a part of our life. And he, that doesn't work. Because he who is all cannot be part of anything. Because he's all. So I have to give him all of me for him to fill me with all of him. He can't be part of something. We wanted Jesus to be in the spare bedroom of our house. And we'll come and get Jesus when we need Jesus. Um, we'll come on Sundays. We'll come for our 15-minute devotional. And then, but I'm not letting him out of there in the closets of my house. I'm definitely not giving him the title deed to the house. I want to control this. He's not going to tell me what to do. Uh, I don't want him doing that. I want safe Jesus in the closet where I want him. That's what we did. So if I speak boldly about lukewarmness or anything tonight, it's because I've done it. It's because we did it and we fell on our face when we tried to do it because it's the devil's deception that you can be one foot in and one foot out. And pastor spoke about this last message. You cannot have Jesus. You have to have him as Lord. You cannot only have him as Savior. He must be Lord as well. He must be both. And that's what we did. We were half in, half out. And I probably don't need to tell anybody this here tonight, but we fell away. We... We pursued the world again, fell right back into the world. About three years ago, when we had came to the end of ourself um, and realized that we have made a wreck and a mess of everything, 
we came here to Bethesda. Um, and this church absolutely coming here, we met Jesus here. And he transformed us and changed us here. But what we did when we did that is we came to the end of ourselves and we said, I'm, I'm, I can't make decisions for myself anymore because I have no idea what I'm doing. So what we told the Lord, we said, I'm going to lose the right to make my own decisions anymore. I'm going to lose the right to tell myself what to do. And we have to come to that point. I'm not going to tell him how to run my life. I'm, I'll lose the right to have an opinion even. I'm not going to question his word when he gives it to me. I'm not going to weigh and measure it. When he tells me, I'm just going to be obedient and do exactly what he tells me. And that's the point that we came to. And when we did that, when we laid like our lifeless bodies on the altar, the Holy Ghost lit the fire. He lit that sacrifice. Yes, he lit that sacrifice. And then what he started doing was started changing us. And he started changing our desires, started changing what we were doing. And what happened is he started drawing us, drawing us into like intimate relationship with him. Get alone with me for extended amounts of time. Get into my word, an intimate relationship. We're gonna talk about that tonight. Intimate relationship with the Lord, because that's what's important. Uh, too many times, like I said, we're trying to, um, we're trying to have Jesus not as, a, not as we're married to him, because that's what it's like. You're to be married to Christ. He's not to be my friend that I go out to dinner with. He's to live in my house with me. We're to be married to him. Um, but that's what we tried to do. Now, whenever we surrendered everything to him, what he started doing was this. You would start to, you would start to watch shows and the Holy Spirit would be like, hey, um, no, um, that's not like me. That's not my nature. Don't watch that. You pick up something to drink it. And he said, does that draw you closer to me? if you drink that, um, because there's no reason for you to be doing it if it doesn't. And he started cleaning house. He started cleaning things out. And so we just started obeying. Okay, we'll drop this, we'll drop that, we'll drop this, and we'll drop that. And he started cleaning things up. Now, in prayer and fasting then at the beginning of this year, um, I started seeing these visions of me preaching. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it was super weird to me. Um, I've never seen visions before. I was kind of freaked out by it. Um, so I shared it with Kendall and I was like, hey, this is what's happening. Um, and I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, if this is you, I'll forsake everything for it. But if it's not you, I don't want anything to do with this because this scares me to death. Um, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and there's a couple of other signs over the next couple of weeks that confirmed to us our call into ministry. But then one of our closest friends, Sherry Crookshanks, came to us and said, have you ever thought about doing a Bible study in your house? Um, we're like, no, I've never thought about that at all. Um, so we prayed about it and the Lord said, yes, I want you to do it and I want you to do it now. So we're like, oh, okay, we'll do it. So we started having a Bible study in our house. And one thing that we did with the meeting is we told the Lord, we don't want to run it. We want you to run it. So we want you to tell us what it looks like we want to do exactly what you want to do with it. So we had the first meeting and then the second meeting. The second meeting we had in our house, the Holy Spirit fell in our house like it was the Azusa Street Revival. Um, people speaking in tongues that have never been filled with the Spirit before. People weeping on our floor, visions and healings. And it was, uh, to be a part of it, I was just awestruck. And 
he continued to do that then. And that's when we went to pastor and we're like, pastor, this is what's going on in our house. Like, <laughs> what do we do with this? <laughs> this is what's going on. How do we steward this? And, uh, he said, I want to walk with you guys with this. I want to help in every way that I can steward what the Lord is doing in your life. Um, and he just began to mightily move. And that bridges into tonight's message of when Pastor Chad's in his last message, he actually talked about, it. he said, everything in the kingdom starts in seed form. Everything starts in seed form. What's really interesting that you're going to see in this, in the scripture tonight and what we go through is that a seed has to die in order to bear anything in order to grow. The seed itself dies in the ground. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is not dying. It's not one of those messages you're like, yeah, I want to hear about dying. <laughs> I want to hear about that tonight. Um, but to get to anything else, you have to die. And it's a prerequisite. You have to. We've done it the wrong way. Um, we tried to make Jesus a part and it doesn't work. He has to have a dead you to resurrect you. <laughs> it's your effort if it's done any other way. If you're trying to clean yourself up, it's your effort. But if he has a dead you, he can resurrect you. He can resurrect you. And, and tonight, I'm telling you, this altar is going to be a graveyard. And we're going to walk away resurrected sons and daughters to walk this new reality that Pastor has been talking about all last month as resurrected sons and daughters. But I'll say this, if you're dying to yourself, all you're doing is dying to what you were never meant to live for anyways. You're just giving to him what you were never meant to live for anyways. And then you're actually going to live for your created purpose, which is to bring him glory, to bring him worship and to shine his image into this world, which is why we're all created. If uh, <clears throat> we'll turn to the gospel of John. Um, chapter 12, starting in verse 20. Um, one of my favorite preachers of all time, um, Leonard Ravenhill, um, called the Gospel of John um, the holy place of the New Testament. And we'll talk about chapter 17 here in a minute, what he called it all. Um, he called it the holy of holies because we're listening to conversation between Jesus and the Father. Um, but in chapter 12... Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, um, Jesus' disciples just asked him if he wanted to see these Greeks. Now, I'm sure they were shaking their head like, uh, do you want to see these guys or not? So we're kind of confused about this long, this long thing you just went into. Um, 
But what Jesus is saying here in this entire passage is that in order to give life to these Greeks that are coming to seek him, he has to die first. In order for him to be able to reach these Gentiles, to give life to these Gentiles, there has to be a death. He has to die before he can do that. So there has to be a death before he can reach them. But what I want to focus on is two words in this passage before we break it down. And that's eternal life or life eternal dependent upon the translation you're reading. And what I want to ask you to ponder for a second is what is eternal life? Because let me tell you something, you're going to exist eternally no matter whether you follow Jesus or not. It's a matter of where and how, but you are going to exist eternally. So eternal life is not existing eternally. So what is it? And it leads into the next question of why did Jesus come and why did he die? Now, what most of us would say, and it's not a wrong answer to say this, is to save sinners, to save us from going to hell. That's true. It's not wrong to say that. He did come to save us. But there's something else that Jesus himself tells us that he came for. And this leads me to our next scripture, which is John chapter 17. And here Jesus defines eternal life for us and what it is. And let's look and see what Jesus says. And Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, this would have been the perfect place for Jesus to say that eternal life is existing forever in a mansion in heaven. It would have been the perfect place for Jesus to say that. It would have been the perfect place for Jesus to say, when you die, you're going to go get to be in heaven forever. But he didn't say that. He said that they may know you. Now, in what this knowing is speaking about here is a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. Um, much like your spouse, that deep and that intimate. We, uh, we talk about Jesus as friend a lot, and he is. He's the best friend that you'll ever have. He's the best you'll ever meet, but he's way more than that. Because with my spouse, when I live with my spouse, what's different between my spouse and what I would just have in a friend is my relationship with my spouse, I have to bend my life around it. My friend's not like that. I can tell my friend to get lost and he'll get lost. <laughs> I don't have to live with him. I can go to dinner with him for, for an hour and put on a face with a friend, but I can't do that with her. She's my spouse that I'm in deep, intimate, personal relationship with, and it causes me to have to bend my life around her. I have to change things about me in my relationship with her. I have to die to myself in ways in my marriage. 
Um, it's why it's the earthly representation of our relationship with Christ. So it has to, it changes my life, my relationship with my spouse does, not necessarily with a friend. Um, there's a, and I listened to a sermon one time by um, Bill Johnson of, from Bethel that spoke really, really strong to me about this very subject one time. And he was preaching the day after his wife died. His wife had died and they had been married a long time. And he was up, and he was up at his church preaching the day after. And he was speaking about it. And he said, you know, he said, people have asked me um, about being here today. And he said something so profound and he was like, everybody talks about Jesus' friend and he is your friend. He said, but he cannot be your friend anywhere where he has not first been your Lord there. And what he was saying was, I don't have the right to say what I feel like doing and what I don't feel like doing. The Lord told me to be here, so I'm here. He has to be our Lord. And he is your friend, but he has to be your Lord that you yield to. And everything in your life bends to what his will is and what his direction is. And this is the deep, intimate knowing that we have to know God in this deep, intimate relationship. And that's what he died for. He died for this deep, intimate relationship. Now, I'm going to speak of the, the church at large when I say this. Um, not, not our church, the church at large. Um, too many times, and this is going to sound appalling when we describe it like this, but unfortunately it's the case for many people with their relationship with Jesus. Um, we treat our relationship with Jesus. If I was to get married... And my wife had a nice vacation home in the Bahamas. A nice vacation home. And I, be, and I get married to her so I can retire there one day. And then I grip my teeth and go through life with her. Maybe I visit her on Sunday. Maybe I give her 10 or 15 minutes in the morning with my devotional and I do a bunch of stuff that I don't actually even like doing to grit my teeth and go through this life with her to get to that retirement home one day in the Bahamas with her. It's appalling to hear that language when we talk about a human relationship, but it's how many of us treat the Lord when we're coming to him because we want heaven one day. And this is strong words, I know it. But if we stand in here with our hands in our pockets while there is worship going on here and we will not give love to the king who was slaughtered for us, we're saying, we're saying I don't love you. I'm telling him I want the benefits from our relationship. I want heaven. I want to be able to come to you when I want something, but I don't want to be in love with you. I don't want to be in a loving, intimate relationship with you that causes me to have to give something to you, that causes me to have to die to myself. I just want the benefits from our relationship. And I want you to ponder a question. If Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you want to go? If he wasn't there, 
would you want to go there? Or do you just want the mansion and the streets of gold and heaven if your Savior wasn't there? Ponder that question because if there's a hesitation, you may not know him. Because you, you can't know him and not love him. You can't. Because once you meet him, once you know how good he is, there's nothing better than him. He is so good. And you can't be unchanged from encountering him. You can't be because he's so good. And, and goodness is not something that he gives out. It's what he is. He is so good. So you can't know him and not burn for him. You can't. You absolutely can't do it. When, uh, I don't know if anybody knows who Eric Gilmore is. Um, he's a preacher. He was saved uh, at the Brownsville Revival under evangelist Steve Hill. And his altar call, Steve Hill told him and said, if you don't go to bed at night burning for him and you don't wake up burning for him and thinking about him, I doubt that you know him. He's like, you can, you can go to hell with baptism of waters on your face, with a communion element in your mouth if you don't know him. We got to be in love with him. And we got to want him for him, not for what he gives us, but him alone. He must be the prize. He is the prize. Him alone. But how, how do we become transformed into something? How do we get to know him? It's just like you get to know anybody. It's time and attention. When I become married to my spouse, I get to know her by time and by attention. Giving her attention and giving her time. And if you don't realize it, worship is only time and attention. And we're going to look at a minute. A lot of times we're giving our time and attention to a lot of other things. We're actually worshiping them and we don't realize it. Um, when we're giving our time and attention to lesser lovers, we're actually worshiping those things. And we're choosing to turn to them and not worship Jesus when we're giving them time and we're giving them attention. But it's by time and attention. And humans are mirrors. So whatever I stare at is what I shine back to the world and what I become. Which is why God wants us to stare at him all the time. Um, so we become like him. So we give all of our attention to him. And so we shine his image into the world. What are we told in Genesis we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be image bearers for him in the world. And we only can do that if we're looking at him and we're staring at him is the only way that I can do that as a human because we're wired to worship something. If you're not worshiping him, you're worshiping something. We just don't call it worship. Um, if, uh, if you're here on Sunday and you sing two or three songs to the Lord and you're calling it worship, but then you drive around all week and sing songs about drinking and drugs and running around on your wife, you're worshiping and you're not worshiping God. If you call what you do on Sunday singing those songs to God, you're doing it through the week if you're singing other songs. And that's not to... That's not to, to draw you into saying this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. What I'm telling you, you're giving your attention to lesser lovers and it's making you like those things. 
There's no wonder we as the body of Christ are walking around depressed with anxiety and fearful when we're staring at the news all day long, when it's telling us to be scared of this virus and to be scared of this country and to be scared of this. We're giving time and attention to fear. My Bible tells me I don't have a spirit of fear, but I'm not giving time and attention to the right things. If I give time and attention to he who is all in all, I can't be scared of anything, anything at all if I give my time and attention to him, but we're giving it to everything else. So if you find yourself fearful or depressed or in any of those positions, it's probably because you're giving your time and attention to things that make you that way. And he wants you to give worship and time and attention to him so he can transform you into his image. So he can transform you. Believe it or not, um, don't, be, don't be condemned by this. Please don't be. As the body of Christ, the ideal place for us that the Lord wants us in, which is what pastor has been talking about this whole last month, is to be resurrected sons and daughters where we don't need prayer. I'm to be full of life and walking around spilling that life out to everybody else because I'm full of it. But I can't do that if I constantly need prayer. If I constantly need healing, if I constantly need something from the Lord, I can't do that. That's why the devil wants to keep you like that. The devil wants to keep you fearful, depressed, sick, so that way you can't spread the life of Jesus around everywhere because you constantly need something. Now, please don't be condemned by that because we w- if, if you're not walking up into the fullness of Christ, we as we as the body of Christ want to help you do that. We want to help you walk up into that, okay? But I'm telling you the ideal place that the Lord's wanting you to live from. And that's as a resurrected son or daughter that's walking around looking exactly like Jesus. That sees somebody sitting on the sidewalk, I'm gonna heal you. And then sees somebody over here, I'm gonna heal you. And And I'm casting out a demon over here, feeding people over here. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. And he wants us to be able to bless somebody. He wants us to walk into a restaurant and have the ability to tip a waitress extremely well and then to talk to her about Jesus because we're showing God's nature and generosity because God is generous. He wants us to be able to do that. And it's the devil's strategy to not, for you not to live like that. It's the devil's strategy for you to constantly be the defeated Christian that's down here. That's his strategy. And that's why it is dangerous. For years, the body of Christ has done this. And we have said, nah. don't get me wrong. There's, uh, there's some truth to this, but people say stuff like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's not true. I'm a new creation in Christ. Completely new, an entirely new creature. I'm not the same person. Actually, if you read this book and listen to what it says, pretty much this says you're an entirely new race of human now once you come to Jesus. You're completely new and completely different. But the devil wants us down here. He wants us down here. Got off my notes a bit there. (laughs) So what I want to do now, I want to go back to um, John chapter 12. And I want to break apart the death of this seed that is a prerequisite for living this life. And this is not the exciting part of this. That was, that was the exciting part. Talking about a resurrected son or a daughter is the exciting part. But this has to come first. So what I want you to look at is when Jesus talks about this kernel of wheat, what happens to it? 
because it's us. So when Jesus talks about this kernel of wheat, the first thing that happens to this kernel of wheat, this kernel is separated from all the other kernels of wheat and it's put into the hand of the master. Now can this kernel of wheat tell this farmer where it's to be planted? Does it talk to him at all? Um, does it have an opinion um, at all? Does it talk to him? No. It is entirely in submission to the master. Doesn't even give its opinion at all. And pastor talked about this last time as well, that we think we decide where we go to church. We don't. If we're in a place where we say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm going to do. Whatever you want, I am going to do. So this kernel has no opinion and it's separated, separated from its life that it lived before, entirely into the hand of the master. And then what happens? It's shoved down deep into dark dirt and covered up. Probably not a place that this kernel would have chose to go because it's in deep, dark dirt, deep, dark dirt. Not very appealing at all. Now it's entirely separated from the life that it had before. It's entirely separated from who it was before and what it was doing before. In complete submission to the master. Now, and then it gets planted. Now, what you'll find, and pastor talked about this as well, the devil doesn't want you to be planted. He wants you to constantly be uprooted here and uprooted here and uprooted here. He does not want you to be planted. And if you study, and if you study revival history, what you find in mighty, mighty moves of God is that you find a planted group of people that are travailing in prayer for a mighty move of God. Anytime you see it in history anywhere, you see a small group of people that said, we want God and God alone and nothing else. And they are travailing for God to come and move. And they're a planted group of people. There's, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories because they're, they're crazy and I love them. Um, if, uh, if anybody's familiar with the Salvation Army, it actually used to be way back in the early days as a Pentecostal ministry. Like William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, they used to have meetings. And during his preaching, like people would just wander in off the streets, like drunk people, high people, just wandering in off the streets. And they couldn't even explain why they came in. Had no idea why they even wandered in there. No idea. And in the back rows, there would be shredded hymnals from people sitting under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. On the back rows, they're shredding hymnals. There's a story one time of the Holy Ghost bodily picking somebody up from the back of the pew and dropping him at the altar. Now, we hear something like that and we're kind of like, whoa, I don't know about that. But then we go and watch scary movies and we're really interested in the paranormal for haunted houses. We're very interested in that. But we think it's odd when we hear a story of the Holy Ghost doing that to save somebody. We think that's odd. It's what he wants to do. We're the ones that have changed. It's what he wants to do. But what those people did, they prayed. They talked about their prayer meetings and they would be longer, they would be longer praying before the service than after the service. For hours they would be at the altar travailing for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be upon people that was in the meeting. For hours they would pour themselves out to God in travailing prayer for conviction to be on people, for people to be drawn in. And that's why people would show up and be like, I don't even know why I'm here. I have no idea why I even came in here, but the Spirit just drew me here and I'm here. And that's what happens when you pray. 
A lot of times we don't pray. A lot of times I don't think we, we actually believe it works, but we won't do it. Um, and Pastor talked about this as well. We say amen when we say we need prayer, that we need to pray, but we won't pray. And this is one of the things when the Lord starts pruning you, and pruning is the next thing that happens after. I'll, I'll actually get to that and get to that in a moment. Um, who wants to see God move like that again? Look at, your, look at somebody next to you and say, I'm ready. Now, the next thing that happens to this seed is it dies. The outside layer of this seed completely dies, and it completely becomes something new. The, the, the plant is not just a better seed. It's an entirely new thing. The plant is a plant, and the seed is a seed. So it's, when it dies, it's transformed then into the plant, and it starts to grow. Now, the church at large... You'll encounter a message here when you talk about death and you dying to yourself that will tell you we have grace. We don't need to die. We have God's grace. We don't need that death now. I just want to say something about that momentarily because any time that grace is taught to you and it's apart from transformation, it's not biblical grace. Jesus will reach his hand out to you no matter where you're at, no matter what you have done. And if you're in this room tonight and there's a voice in your head that says you've done something too bad, um, do not listen to that. It is a lie from the devil. Jesus will reach his hand out to you no matter what you have done, no matter where you were at, no matter where you are from, and grab your hand to pull you out of that. Come with me. And he will pull you to come to him. He loves you too much to leave you sitting there. He will pull you to come with him. He doesn't leave you sitting in that. Is that a process? Yes. But there's transformation involved in that. If it's ever taught to you that you have to struggle with an addiction or you're bound in sin for your whole life, if that is ever taught to you, it's not true and it's a lie of the devil. If that is true, that I have to battle with these addictions and sins until I die, then death is my savior and Jesus is not. Either the blood of Jesus works or it doesn't, and it works. It works, and you can be entirely free from all of that. The devil doesn't want you to know that, that you can be free. Because if he says you're free indeed, it means you're completely free. And people hear this message, and they're like, man, what are you saying? Like, you never sinned? That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you I'm not walking around sin waiting to happen. That's not me. I'm a resurrected son. I'm not telling you that there's never a stumble off the path. I'm saying I'm so oriented to him that if there is that stumble, I'm immediately in repentance and oriented to him. Immediately. If you can set down in unrepentant sin, you probably need to question whether you know him or not. If you are able to sit down in unrepentant sin, that's not biblical grace. He wants to transform you. The gospel is a message of transformation, to transform you entirely into a resurrected son or daughter and into an entirely new creature. Now, then there's a pruning that starts to happen whenever you start this relationship with him. You start to bear fruit, and then he wants to cut some more on you. 
you start to bear fruit and he's like, and I'll tell you where this happened uh, to me and um, my wife will attest to this and it's what a lot of people don't like doing and it can be a difficult process is the Lord started speaking to me in my process of this when I would get alone with him and just sit in silence. It's when he would talk to me. When I would get alone with the Lord and sit there in silence with him is when he would speak to me and when he would start to lay out these things, hey, you need to say you're sorry to that person. You need to go change this. You need to go do this. When I was sitting in silence before him and the pruning started to happen. And we don't like that pruning, which is why a lot of us back off of that extended alone time with him in silence because it's what he does to us in that period. It's what he does to us. But I'm telling you this, there is nothing that I have ever given up for the Lord that I needed anyways, that he hasn't given me way more in return. I never needed any of it. Just a little nugget on hearing from the Lord because people, people talk about it a lot. Like the Lord doesn't talk to me. I don't, I don't hear those kind of things. Um, and something we learned is that if you want him to talk to you, if he has your yes before he talks, he'll talk to you more. If you don't have to weigh and measure whether, whether you're going to listen to it when he talks to you, if he knows they're going to say yes before I speak, he'll speak directly to you more. Because he's not going to burden you with disobedience if he knows that you're not going to do what he's going to tell you to do anyways. He's not going to speak to you. If you say yes before he speaks, he'll speak to you way more. Because he's trusting you with his voice. He'll speak to you. But that's in complete and total submission to the master. Complete submission to him. Now, the final place of this growth process is the harvest. And this is what gets um, a lot of people. Because when you start to bear fruit for him, what are you going to do with it? Because it's really easy to start to bear fruit for the Lord in your walk and then for me to want to keep it or for me to want accolades for this fruit. It's really easy. The only proper response in the kingdom, if Jesus gives me a crown or I have fruit, is to throw it back at his feet because it was him working in me that done it and it wasn't me. It's the only proper response. And when he becomes the prize and prayer and communion with him is not a bridge to get somewhere else, that prayer and communion with him is not a bridge for me to get the new job or it's not a bridge for me to get the raise, that it's not a bridge for me to get a new car. Okay, so um, if, I just want you guys to ponder this for a moment, okay? I wasn't even going to say this, but Holy Spirit told me to, so I'm going to say it. Um, if, let's say I have a relative who is really sick, okay? And my normal communion with the Lord, my normal daily communion with the Lord is, let's say I spend a half an hour with him a day. I'm just throwing out a number. But my relative gets really sick. I dig my heels in. And now I'm spending two and three hours in prayer, praying for the healing of my relative. My relative gets healed. I go back 
my regular 30 minutes of communion with the Lord. What am I telling the Lord? I'm telling him, I want what you give me. I want the healing. I don't want you. That the point is not communion and relationship with you. The point is the thing that you're giving me. So I'm digging my heels in and praying strong prayers for something that you're going to give me. I'm not digging my heels in for relationship with you. That you're the prize. He has to be the prize. And we have to be in love with him. We have to be in love with him. Because I'm telling you, there's a group of people on that day that he's going to say, I never knew you. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, he didn't say the prayer. He didn't say he didn't go to church. He said, I never knew you. I never intimately knew you. Closely, intimately in a walk where he's the prize. Nothing that he provides, nothing that he gives, but the prize is him, him alone. If I could get the worship team to come up, that thank you. Where he's the prize, where we're not seeking anything but him, because that's, that's a device of the enemy. He wants us to seek those things. And how many knows that if you read the biblical passage on this, these people have done miracles for the Lord. Um, I've cast out demons in your name. I've done miracles in your name. And they called him Lord. So they obviously believed. They called him Lord. They believed. But he, what he said was, I never knew you. I never intimately knew you. What the Lord is calling this house to, he's calling the body of Christ to, there is a revival coming. There is a last day revival that is brewing right now. And everybody feels it. That's close to the Lord. You feel it. Judgment begins in the house of God, though. What he is calling his church to is to dump all this other stuff off. And it's just him. He's the prize, and we're only seeking him. Because what gets us in trouble is when we have ulterior motives. When there's something else on the horizon but him. He has to be the prize. And that's what he's calling us to. It's what he's calling the church to. And what we have to do to get to that place where I burn for him. And that's all I burn for is I have to die to everything else that's in my life. I have to die to the chains that are on me. I have to die to everything that binds me. And he has to be the prize and he has to be my sole pursuit of what I am seeking. Just him and him alone and nothing else. It's very easy. The devil wants you busy if you don't know that. He wants you busy. He wants you really busy focusing on a lot of other stuff besides him. doesn't want you praying. He doesn't want you digging into your word. He doesn't want you in a group of other believers. He doesn't want you to do any of that stuff. He wants you to have all of these other pursuits that are more important than him, more important than him alone. If everybody could stand with me tonight.
He's calling this house to surrender to him. And this is a surrender, whether you don't know him at all or whether you've known him for 50 years, it doesn't matter. There may be things, whether I've known the Lord for 50 years, there might be things in my life that still need to die. There might be things that I need to surrender to him. I may have something that's binding me that I need to dump at his feet. And I'm gonna tell you, because I've tried to do it, you can't do it on your own. You can't handle it on your own, but I know one who can, and it's him. Only him. He wants to encounter everyone in this room tonight. And what he showed me was, as I told you, this altar tonight is going to be a graveyard. A graveyard if you don't know him for the old you. A graveyard if you do know him for the things in your life that need to die. For you to become where he is the prize to you. Where you burn for your prayer closet more than you burn for anything else in your life. Where it is the most exciting place for you to be is in his presence and seeking him. That's where he wants us. That we go to bed at night burning for him. That we wake up burning for him. And he's the only pursuit that we have. That's what he wants. That's the place he's calling us to. And we, but we've got to dump everything else off, every other pursuit off. We've got to dump it to come to the place where he wants us to. We have to do that, and that's what he's calling us to tonight. So this is for two people. If everyone would close your eyes and bow your head. This first group of people is if you don't know him at all, if you have never known the Lord, if when I speak of this amazing king tonight, that you've never met him, that you don't know him, if this, if you have never known the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. He is calling to you tonight. He is beckoning to you tonight. Come to me. Come to me. Everything, everything in your life right now that you're seeing, everything that is in your life is nothing that you were meant to live for anyways. He has a created purpose for you. He made you for him. And you're living for yourself right now but he made you for him. He made you to shine his image into the world and to worship him. That's what he made you for. If you don't know this king, could you just slip your hand up tonight and say, I wanna know him. I wanna meet him. Don't leave here tonight. He is beckoning to you. He is calling out to you. Don't leave here tonight without knowing that you know him, without knowing it. Because none of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know. So if that's you, just slip your hand up tonight. Don't leave here without knowing. Don't leave here without being sure. If there's a doubt in your mind Slip your hand up. 
and linger here for just a second. Okay. We're going to pray together here. Now listen. These words in this prayer do not save you. It's turning to him in complete surrender that saves you. Realizing that you can't save yourself. Realizing you need him, that's what saves you, is turning to him. These words are a way that you express that, is what this is. But this is a surrender to him. So everyone together, with these ones that raise their hand, we will all pray this together. So just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I believe that you lived, died, and arose from the dead and died for me. I give you my life and I accept your life. I agree to follow you for the rest of my life. And I thank you for saving me. Amen. Now, the second call. And if you if you raise your hand for the first call, you should come for the second one. Because you took your first step in this journey tonight, but now he wants to encounter you. Now he wants to fill you. Now he wants to fill you to the brim with him. This second call is for those that know him, but maybe you've grown cold. Maybe when I speak of the prayer closet being, maybe when I speak for burning for him and the prayer closet being my favorite place on planet earth, it sounds foreign to you. Maybe you felt that way at one time, but you don't feel it now, that you're not burning for him. This is for you now. Or maybe you have some sort of sin that's binding you. Maybe something the devil has his claws in you. This is a graveyard tonight. Do not leave here tonight carrying what you came in here with. Do not do it. I am begging you unashamedly. Do not leave here with it tonight because the living, breathing Christ is walking the rose right now saying, come to me. I can take it from you. Come to me. I want to fill you with me. I want to fill you up with me and none of you. He is begging you tonight. And if you leave here unchanged, you're about to walk past him out the door when he's begging you to come to him, begging you to be full of him. And he is the most amazing thing you can ever be full of. He's amazing. If you don't burn for him, if you want to be full of him, if there is anything that is binding you, if prayer team, if you could get in place for me, please. What I want us to do because I'll be honest with you, church, this call should probably be the whole building. That there's something in all of us that needs to die so we can be full of him. I want to lay hands on everyone in this building. To be dead to us and be full of him. To be completely full of him.
If you don't come up here tonight, what you're saying is, Lord, I don't need any more of you. I'm good. I don't need any more of you. Because he's here to encounter you. He's here to fill you with him and to live this life that Pastor talked about this whole last month as a resurrected son or daughter. He's here to give you that tonight. He's here for everything in you to die and for him to live in you. And I don't, I don't want to give a chance for you to leave here without that. So right now I'm going to count to three. Okay, I'm going to count to three and we're going to run to the altar. And I'm going to tell you right now, maybe you're in a condition where you say, I can't run. You're going to get here every way you can and then you can run away from it because you'll be healed here. Okay. Let's get here. And I'm going to count to three and we're going to run. We're going to run and he's going to fill you here. And when you get here, take whatever posture you want. Prostrate on the floor, lay all over the place. It doesn't matter. And we're not in a hurry. I'll stay here with you till midnight if you need to stay here to do that. Come to him. Not to me, not to my words, but come to him and meet him. I'm going to count to three. And we're going to run to this altar. Do not look around and wonder what anybody else is doing. On judgment day, it'll be you and him. It won't be anybody else. I'm gonna to count to three. One, two, three. Run, 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 run to him. Run to him, run to him. He is here to meet you. And just tell him, I want to die to me, and I want to live for you. I want to be full of you. I want to die to everything in my life that I don't want anymore, that I don't need anymore. And I want to be full of you. Yes. Be filled with him and just tell him. Tell him, I don't want any of me anymore. I just want you. I want to burn for you. And prayer team, that's what we're praying for. We're praying for them to burn for Jesus. That it's the only pursuit in their life. And it's all they have and it's all they want. It's him. It's just Jesus. Let's die to us and be filled with him. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.